Principal Matters Podcast, episode 262. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about the eight hats all school leaders wear. Just a few weeks ago, I was invited to provide some virtual professional learning with a wonderful group of aspiring and assistant principals from Pecos Barstow Toya Independent School District in Pecos, Texas. And as a part of our time together, I shared content from my book, Principal Matters, including eight hats, the essential roles that school leaders practice. And for the sake of this podcast episode, this week, I want to include a shortened version of the introduction to that session. My hope is that you will find these takeaways helpful as you reflect on the responsibilities that you carry as a school leader, wearing the hat of a coach, a manager, a counselor, the hat of accountability, the hat of a chief communicator, the hat of a servant leader, the hat of a team player, and the hat of an individual. And so I hope you enjoy this edited version of part of that conversation that I had with this great group of leaders. Thanks for taking time to listen and thanks again for doing what matters. And I want to begin with a story that's actually at the very beginning of the book. Uh, And it's a story about a woman named Diana Nyad, who I discovered several years ago because I... I was intrigued when I heard her in a TED talk describing all of the amazing work that she's done as a, as a competitive swimmer. Um, in the early seventies, uh, Diana Nyad was first famous as the first woman to swim around the Island of Manhattan. And um, that had been a record that was set by a man earlier. Um, but she was the first woman in history to swim that island. And years later, she swam uh, from the coast of the Bahamas uh, to the U.S., which was an amazing feat. But she actually quit swimming for several decades and took on other competitive sports. And when she was when she was in her 60s, she decided to step back into competitive swimming. And this is a picture of Diana Nyad when she was in her 60s. And she decided she wanted to train for something no one had ever done. No human had ever swum from the coast of Cuba to the coast of Florida, which is a a 100 mile swim through waters that are constantly changing in the tides, uh, jellyfish infested waters. And so when she took on this idea for this, this goal, she was setting up this goal for herself that she knew nobody had ever achieved before that would be both um, require both an incredible physical endurance, mental commitment. And uh, when so she, so she trained for two years. So at the age of 62, she attempted this world record and she failed. She was, she was several hours into the swim when she was stung so many times by jellyfish that she began to asphyxiate. And, and she had boats nearby that were trying to give her epi pins. And so she was trying everything she could to with nutrition and EpiPens to, to stay in the water, but she finally had to be pulled. And that's when I first heard her story. She was telling the story of trying something really, really difficult and not achieving the goal, but what she learned through that journey. 
And it was two years later that at the age of 64 that she tried again. And that, and so I, I was so excited when I, when I saw that she was going to try to to do this again. And she actually accomplished, she accomplished the goal. So at age 64, she swam for a um, hundred miles. She made it to the, to the beach head in Florida. And when she crawled into the sand there, of course, there were journalists and well-wishers it, it, she was so swollen by the salt water from all that swimming that she could barely speak. And so they wanted her to give a quote to the press. And so she said two things as she stood there on the sand that I thought were so impactful. She said, never give up and teamwork. Those are the only words that came out of her mouth. And it wasn't until later when she was giving a speech that I, I watched in, in a follow-up about that time that she explained what she meant by those words, never give up and teamwork. And I want to start here with you guys today, because I think this is so important for anyone who's willing to take on the mission of stepping into school leadership. And so I loved it that Carrie kind of gave today a, a theme, you know, that this is a mission that we're on. Because two things that, that Diane and I had focuses on in those words, and this is what she explains. First of all, in order to accomplish any amazing feat or goal, you have to be committed to courage and perseverance. So this is not for the weak-hearted. School leadership is not something you step into because you want to raise or because you like power or because you just enjoy having a lot of keys to unlock. You know what it's like. Those of you that have moved from teaching to administration, you might have some sense that suddenly you have more authority. But that sense of like exhilaration only lasts one day and it, until you've encountered your first situation of, of disciplinary action or an upset parent or a crisis. And then you realize, oh, I have to dig deeper than just this position in order to actually accomplish this role. So perseverance was the first thing that Diane and I had recognized got her across that ocean. But there was something else she recognized that I thought was even as important. And this is why she accomplished the goal the second time versus the first. She realized the reason nobody had ever accomplished this goal ever was because they tried to do it alone. And even though she had to be a solitary swimmer in order to set the world record, she realized that the only way she could be a solitary swimmer setting the world record is if she surrounded herself with other team members in boats ahead of her, around her, beside her, watching for jellyfish, navigating the path. Um, tossing her nutrition and water so that she could eat and drink medics who could be available to, to monitor her and make sure that she was, that she was healthy enough to finish. And so she surrounded herself with a team on that second trip that provided the support that she needed to accomplish her goal. And, and the reason that I, I wanted to start there with you guys is because I think it's so important when you're considering the journey from teaching to leadership that you that you consider both the courage that's necessary and the teamwork that's necessary. So let me just pause there for just a moment because I know I said a lot of things there and I know you probably have some notes in front of you too. Um, but I wanna make sure that, um, that, that we pause for just a moment because you may have some thoughts too. And some of you guys that are sitting in the room may have some thoughts too. But um, whenever I made the decision to step from classroom instruction into school leadership that, you know, 
that decision came with a lot of emotion. I was very proud of the opportunity that I had. I'd worked hard to get my master's degree. I was excited to be able to support my family in a way that I hadn't supported them before. But both the courage that I needed to do this work and was continuous, but also the need to connect with others to accomplish that goal became something that over time I realized it was impossible to do this job without others. And so I want to throw this question out to the group. Um, In your experience, where have you seen schools become more effective when they become collaborative? In other words, when you're when you're willing to work, how, how have you seen schools accomplish more when people pull together? I have um, tried to organize so that we're covering different hats that leaders wear. So we're not going to talk about um, in today's session, we're not going to be able to unpack all of these. What we're going to do is I'm going to give you a quick overview of the most common roles that school leaders engage in in the work that they do. And you might want to add to this list. This is just the list that I've created based on the national standards that I've studied but also the practices that I've seen in my own work and in the work of other leaders. And so I've, I've tried to think of like, how can I describe all these roles in a way that is a little easier to fit into a conversation. And so that's why I come up with the hats analogy, because I think sometimes as leaders, we, we, you start figuring out really quickly, you wear a lot of hats. You're not just one kind of person. You're, you're a lot of kind of people when it comes to the different roles and responsibilities that you have. So I wanna first give you a quick overview of these hats. And then I wanna take some time to just shift over and talk about the foundational relationships that are a part of leading any school in terms of building culture. And then in the weeks ahead that we have, we're gonna take different parts of these responsibilities or different hats and just visit them one or two at a time so that you can really dig deep into these roles. So let me give you first this overview. And as I'm giving you this overview, you can obviously add these to the notes that have been provided to you. But I also want you to be thinking as I'm going through this overview, which of these hats do you already feel comfortable wearing? And which of these hats do you feel like, ah, this is a hat that I'm not comfortable wearing yet. I'm gonna need to figure out, I'm gonna need to grow in this area. So those are the two questions I want you to have in your mind as I'm jumping through this content. Which hat do you feel comfortable wearing? And which hats do you feel like, ah, that's a hat where I might need some, I may need some some growth before I feel comfortable wearing that hat. Are you ready? You can talk. Are you ready? Yes. All right, here we go. So here are the eight hats. And I'm gonna go through each one of them separately too. So if you don't get them the first time, but the eight hats are the hats of the coach, the manager, the counselor on duty or accountability. And that that was hat number four. I had a hard time figuring out exactly what to name that one. The hat of the cheerleader, the hat of the servant leader, the hat of the team player and the hat of the individual. And if you didn't, if I'm going, I know I'm going fast, but I'm going to take them one at a time now. So don't feel like you have to like fill every, every blink in because you'll get a chance here as I take them one at a time. But first the hat of the coach, Let, let me say this. Someone has to be willing to make the final calls when it comes to what's best for students in schools. And often that's the leader of that school. And for those of you that are stepping into the role of an assistant principal, you share that leadership with your principal. 
But there's a lot of responsibilities that you are given where you're making that final call. And teachers, you're making final calls every single day in your classroom in terms of instruction or grading or making sure that you, you're the final call when it comes to deciding what gets to happen next with a student relationship. And coaching requires a lot of courage, but it also, um, there are strategies I think that are important with, with the coaches had of, of knowing how to make the final calls, knowing how, understanding your own motivations, your own values and your own purpose so that you're making the calls based on the right values. Because often I think in coaching, what we make the mistake of doing, and this is where you run into toxic leadership, is if you run into someone whose motivations for decisions are self-interested or they're based on fear or they're based on ego. If you're making your, if you're coaching based on fear and ego, you're going to be, you're going to be a toxic leader. But if you're coaching based on values that are grounded in what's best for kids, then you're going to be seeing your decisions more consistently helping instead of hurting. So that's hat number one. Hat number two is the hat of the manager. And I, I know I often hear leaders say, well, I'm an instructional leader. Um, I'm not a manager. And I just have to say, that's great. I'm glad you are. But if you don't recognize that school leadership involves management, then you're probably going to have a pretty chaotic school because your classroom requires management, doesn't it? You have to have strong classroom management if you're going to have strong instruction. Schools have to have strong school-wide management if they're going to have great school outcomes. And one of the best ways that you can do this as a school leader is by understanding the key responsibilities of the people in your school and helping to guide them to accomplish their key responsibilities. I'll give you an example. When I stepped from um, teaching into assistant principal role, I suddenly discovered there are a lot of people in my school whose roles I didn't understand. I really didn't understand the roles of my paraprofessionals or my counselors or my librarian or my school registrar or uh, my cafeteria workers because I hadn't done their roles before. And so suddenly I had to realize these folks have important parts of the whole school system I understood teaching because I had been a teacher, but now I needed to take time to understand all these other roles, including my school secretary. Not that I could do their jobs for them, but I understood their responsibility so I could help support them. And so management is understanding the roles of those you're serving so that you can support them in accomplishing their goals. The third hat is the hat of the counselor. And this is a hat that you are always wearing because Counseling just simply means being a good listener. You don't have to be a licensed counselor to, to be a good listener. It, I'm, I'm always thankful when I have licensed counselors in my schools because they have an expertise that I don't. But I've discovered over time that as a, as a school leader, you spend a lot of time listening to input from students and from parents and from teachers. My wife would often ask me when I came home from school, what kind of day did you have? And I would just kind of give her a quick summary of the day. And she would usually laugh and say, um, "Did so? How many people did you make cry?" And and I would laugh too because she was right. Those of you that are in school leadership, you could probably count every single day. Like, you there's always somebody crying. You know, whether it's a kid or a teacher or a parent, somebody comes to see you because they need help, and usually, or they're upset or they're in trouble, and so. Part of the role of being a good leader is also being a good counselor, which means, as Stephen Covey would say, understanding first before being understood. We like to really tell people what we think, 
but so many times it's important for us to first pause and hear their stories. So part of, especially for those of you that are involved in student discipline, one of the most important things to do first is try to understand the story of the person who, with whom you're working. Because when they realize that you care about them as a person, not just the outcomes or their behavior, they're typically going to be more receptive to your input. And so wearing that hat of the counselor means learning the skills of good listening uh, and good feedback. Um, the next hat, the hat of on duty or accountability is just a reminder. And I know your notes say, um, you know, follow orders received um, by like the federal government. There's so much more I should have added to that definition because think about it. How many, how many different entities are telling you guys how to manage school? Yeah, so your state, your local, your federal, your school board, your parents, your booster clubs, everybody has input, don't they, on what how schools should be happening. But you actually, as a school leader, you have certain entities to whom you're legally accountable and ethically accountable. And so I always tell leaders, don't ask anyone to do something you're not already doing yourself. So, and it, so accountability runs all kinds of levels. For instance, if your school decides that, you know, we want teachers to sign in in the morning so that we know where everybody is, then as the principal, you should be the first one signing in. Don't raise an expectation among your staff that you're not willing to do first. The same thing comes, though, with state reports or reports at the end of the year to um, your state department or title reports that you have to fill out. And in Texas, I know that may be different than it is here, but those accountability measures are a part of your responsibility. So it does mean that you study your handbook like it's a Bible, that you understand those policies and procedures. And if there's something in there that doesn't work, that you revisit that with your board each year and you tweak those so that you change um, those expectations moving forward. I'll tell you a quick story. When I took um, the last school that I led I'm starting in, in 2006. I was first hired as an assistant principal and later became the high school principal. And the first thing I did was I read the entire student handbook and I looked at board policy. And I realized at that time, there was no policy in that district on um, drug and alcohol testing if students were reasonably suspected to be under the influence at school. And, and this was back in the uh, early 2000s. And so there were other districts where I had seen those policies modeled and used effectively to make sure kids were staying safe. And so um, when I had the opportunity to, to step into that role and to gain some trust, I asked if we could revisit those policies and adopt some things that would make it easier to conduct our school business. And so, so that accountability comes with responsibility. If you understand what those policies look like and you see something and there's not working, you have a responsibility to speak up and to gather others around you to try to affect change. The next hat is the hat of the cheerleader or the, commun the chief communicator. And, and I actually wrote an entire book about this one called Messaging Matters. And, and if you, if you want to make that a summer read sometime, let me know. I, I can point you to that resource. But I think this is so important. If we are not communicating what's happening within our school buildings to our community, in the absence of communication, they will create their own narratives. Let me say that again. In the absence of our communication, people create their own narratives. And you tell me, are those narratives usually positive or negative? negative. That's right. So when we're not giving them the information of what's happening in our school, they make it up. And what they make up is usually ugly. It's not usually what, what's truly happening in our schools. And I like to just give this quick analogy because when I was a kid, my dad 
um, would set up a telescope outside the farmhouse and we could look at stars and the moon. And if you've ever looked at the moon, you realize that you can only see one face of the moon at a time, no matter where you are on the earth because of the way the moon orbits the earth. If you want to see the back of the moon, what do you have to do? Become an astronaut, right? So, so here's the thing. As a school leader, you're like an astronaut at your school. You get to see parts of your school nobody else does. It's really a privilege to be able to step into classrooms throughout the day, to see kids in practice, to talk to teachers one-on-one, to set an IEP meetings, but it's also a responsibility. So you, you have this great privilege of being able to see parts of your school that are that where things are happening all day long. Kids are learning in ways that other people don't get to see when they're isolated in their classrooms. But with that responsibility and privilege comes an opportunity to share it. And so if we're not sharing among ourselves and celebrating among ourselves and showcasing among ourselves the great things happening, then we're missing an opportunity to communicate the positives that are happening in our school district. Even in a crisis, parents still need communication. They need to be reminded how much you love and value their kids, how much you appreciate their input, how much you value the community that can pull together during difficult times. And so cheerleading isn't just celebration. It's also being present to comfort and to help each other through hard times. And so I know that's sometimes a hard hat to wear, but school leaders play an important role in being that communicator of what's happening in their schools. The next hat is the hat of the servant leader. And I imagine I'm preaching to the choir here because what I've discovered with strong leaders are people that are willing to roll up their sleeves, get their hands dirty, and do the hard work. One of my favorite superintendents came uh, into the last district I was in. The first day on the job, you know what he did? He didn't show up in a tie and a suit. He showed up and he got on on a mower and he started just cutting the grass around the properties and got a weed eater because he saw that there were things being neglected by the former leadership and he just wanted to roll up his sleeves and get to work. And that sent a message across the entire district that, hey, we've got a leader here who's willing to step in and work with us and get his hands dirty. And, and that translates to your buildings too. Are people seeing you willing to step in and get your hands dirty? When the cafeteria line gets full, are you willing to jump in and help serve food? Are you willing to mop up a spill? I know you are, but I'm just reminding you that, you, that our servant leadership sets the example for how others are going to behave in our buildings too. Team player, we accomplish more together. And this was something that became almost magical in my leadership journey, because when I stepped from classroom to principal and went through those years as assistant principal and principal, I realized that the more I valued the teachers and their expertise and their abilities to help solve problems, the more we got accomplished. I remember one year in particular, we were having a really difficult time with eighth graders transitioning into high school who we felt were unprepared or had been who had failed a lot in the past, but were passed on primarily because they were getting too old to be in middle school. I know you've never experienced that, right? And so what we so we sat down together one summer, we pulled together as a team of teachers, and I just said, Hey, we have a problem that I haven't figured out a solution for. A lot of these kids need extra supports because they've struggled. And if they struggle their freshman year too much, they drop out. And that team together came up with an idea that we use for several years called Mentor 180, where they decided let's team these kids together with a teacher, an older student, and together we'll sit down weekly, look at their grades and provide them just that extra measure of mentoring and support to get through high school. And we saw a 
a significant increase in the number of students being successful when we surrounded them with supports. And that would have never happened without the input of my teachers, of pulling them together and asking them to come up with solutions and then pulling kids in and asking them to help us come up with solutions. And so um, I give that as, as an example because we always accomplish more together. And then finally, the last hat that I think it's important for us to focus on in this introduction is the hat of the individual. And so let me just say this to each of you as people, you cannot bury yourself in your identity in order to accomplish your role in whatever you're asked to do as a teacher or an administrator. And one of the challenges that I faced over the years was giving so much of myself to the school that I found myself neglecting those other parts of me that were as important and sometimes more important, like my family or my own health, my own uh, safety, my mental well-being, my children, my marriage, my spiritual growth, the management of my resources and my home. And I know I'm, I'm kind of listing all these things that you suddenly might be feeling anxious, like, ah, don't say all this stuff. It makes me think about all the stuff I, I still need to do and haven't done today. But, but I'm saying those things to you because what I've discovered is, and this is, the, this is my third book, which is called Pause, Breathe, and Flourish, How to Live Your Best Life as an Educator. I, I wrote that book because I was meeting a lot of educators who were burning out because they were spending so much time focused on their school and their leadership that they were forgetting they needed time too. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I stepped from teaching to school admin, man, I just was so, I was so determined to be a good leader that I had stopped exercising. I had stopped eating nutritiously. I was working late every single night. I was getting up super early, never taking time for myself. And it took a crisis um, for me, a crisis conversation for me and my family to finally wake up to the fact that I had to start refocusing on both my self-care my family's care and my school's care so that I could lead effectively. Well, Principal Managers listeners, if you've listened to the end of this episode, thank you for the time that you took this week to collaborate and think through the hats that you're wearing as a school leader. If you could benefit from other episodes like this one or other resources that I have, please reach out to me through my website at williamdparker.com. And as always, thanks for doing what matters, and I'll talk to you again next week.